everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth, and this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. I'm praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning saunterers and it absolutely threw it down last night and it's still very wet outside. So for the last chapter of 1 Corinthians we are inside again and we're going to pray and welcome the beautiful Holy Spirit to pour out his presence on us so holy spirit we welcome you and we ask just like that rain came down your your presence would come down and refresh us and surround us today and just soak and saturate everything we do everything we are in jesus name so welcome if you're watching on facebook welcome if you're watching later on youtube or if you're listening now on prayer house radio God bless you. It's been great fun sauntering in 1 Corinthians. Good morning, Kathy and Chris and Ruth. Great to see you all. And so we're now in the final chapter of, of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, or at least the second letter, because we gather that he'd already written another one on a, another occasion. And he's. it still seems that he may be answering some of the questions that they raised in a letter to Paul And he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So Paul's still very concerned. We read about it in the book of Acts, Paul's concern for the um, church, the believers in Jerusalem, because they experienced a severe famine, which if you remember was prophesied by the prophet Agabus. He said there would be a famine and there was a famine And there was a heavy burden on the believers in Jerusalem and Paul wanted the the, um, Greeks um, and the Galatians to really kind of contribute and share so that there was this commonality among the believers across the region so that the Gentile church was um, in effect supporting what had been the mother church, the Jerusalem church. Um, financially, which is really lovely. And it's so cool when there's this easy flow of generosity among the church and supporting one another and helping each other out. That's exactly how it should be. 
Um, however, very easy to forget it and very easy to allow other things to creep in. And suppose saying, right, on the first day of every week, each one, let everybody do it, but do it voluntarily, do it according to how you are prospering. So it's relative to your wealth and set it aside in a disciplined way so that when I come, I don't have to pump it up and try and extract money from you. So what Paul didn't want was for his visit to be completely caught up with trying to drum up support for the church in Jerusalem. He wanted that all to be taken care of. So when he came, he could just receive that money that had been collected over some months prior to his visit. And then he could either go with it in person or send it off with some faithful believers to be delivered. And there's some interesting little things. These wrapping up kind of portions of scripture of Paul's letters are always very interesting because they have little snippets that give us insight into how things were done. There's interesting to note that Paul says on the first day of the week. Um, now, um, the, we obviously in Britain and in the West and have, as we've taken the Christian message to the world from the West, we have the culture of work, worshipping together on Sundays and we have this idea. And I grew up in a family where the Sunday was treated as the Sabbath. It was a complete day of rest. We wore different clothes on Sunday. We didn't play in the yard, we played in the garden, we could do drawing, but we couldn't do painting, we weren't allowed to swim, we weren't allowed to go off riding our bikes around the village like a bunch of hooligans, and so we, it was very much a Sunday, re respectful Sunday rest day, and we went to church in the morning, Sunday school in the evening, my parents went again to church in the uh, sorry, Sunday school in the afternoon and my parents, one of my parents would alternate and go to the gospel service in the evening. <clears throat> so it was like Sunday was all about God and church and stuff. <clears throat> so it seems that these believers were meeting on the first day of the week. Um, and Paul kind of was, is just saying, right, when you come together as the church on the first day of the week, put this bring some money and put it aside. Good morning. Uh, Adrian and good morning Phil and so um, but when when <laughs> it's really interesting because there was never a, an instruction written in scripture that we have that Sunday or the first day of the week should become like the Sabbath or should supersede the Sabbath or replace it and so certainly for Paul as a Jew he would still go to the synagogue on on the Sabbath and engage with his Jewish countrymen and brothers, kinsmen, and talk about Jesus, talk about the Messiah to them in their own cultural terms and so on, and from their own scriptures, the Old Testament. And so that, was, that wasn't replaced for Paul. He continued to, we saw, didn't we, when we sauntered through the book of Acts, we saw how Paul got harassed at every place, by the same process, he would preach the gospel in the synagogues and then they'd come after him and punish him for, <laughs> punish him for doing it or persecute him. After initially listening with interest, they would turn on him, and it seems, as a general rule. But um, so uh, for the Jews, I should imagine they continued to 
um, uh, attend the synagogue, like Paul, for many years. Um, when we get to the book of Revelation and the Apostle John um, is giving his introduction to the book, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and he calls it the Lord's day. Now, we know that Jesus rose again on the Sunday morning, so early Sunday morning. So maybe that's what John was, how, how it became known as the Lord's day, because it was the day the Lord um burst out of the tomb and established this whole new order. And so it maybe culturally it was um, became established for the church to meet on that day. But that would have been prior to an act by Constantine, the emperor in 314, I think, AD. He made a pronouncement that Sunday, the day of the sun, would become a day of rest throughout the Roman Empire for every Roman person. And so they they abstained from their normal work, unless they were farmers, in which case it was considered perfectly appropriate to carry on working because the weather isn't always agreeable on the right day of the week. And so if you had a decent day on Sunday, you should carry on. Now, I grew up Farmers who love God did not work on Sunday. And my mum said there were many times that the hay would be just perfect. They'd cut it, turned it. It was ready to be picked up on the Sunday. They wouldn't touch it on the Sunday. And Monday would <laughs> be pouring with rain and the whole lot would be kind of, oh dear, wet hay, it had to be dry, you know what I mean? It wasn't It wasn't good hay. Once it's been wet and dried out again, it's not half as good as if it's dried, brought in. And so there were, there were sacrifices involved in observing Sunday and observe, well, observing a day as holy for my, my parents' generation. And uh, growing up in that culture, we kind of got to hear about it a lot. Um, anyway, so the so the early at the time Paul's writing the early church, the, this day, the first day of the week would have been a normal work day. So probably they were meeting in the evening, and that's probably why Paul was preaching until midnight in the Book of Acts when the guy falls asleep and falls out of the window. It's not that he started it kind of. 11 o'clock the appropriate time to start preaching Sunday morning and then kept going until midnight although that may have happened it's more likely that they were meeting in the evening and it was drawing on and Paul had a lot to get through and he wanted to say all that he wanted to say because he wasn't going to see them again it was getting past midnight and Eutychus falls out the window asleep and dies or when he hits the ground great story um, and so, anyway, there we are, first day of the week. They were meeting then, and it became customary, and that, that stuck, and, and then the whole the culture of Sundays became what it is. And now we're kind of drifting back into Sunday being just like any other day, and lots of Acts of Parliament have been passed that have changed the, the laws about Sunday trading and all the rest of it. So, anyway, here we go. So verse five, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. So the point was, listen, let me just say this, because this is I think this is really important. There has been a lot of teaching and a lot of criticism of the message of prosperity to link to generosity. 
And so there has come this kind of derogatory term used by many of the prosperity gospel. And it's, oh dear, that's the prosperity gospel. Now, the Bible does teach that a generous man or woman will prosper. It's written there in the book of Proverbs, a generous person will prosper and he or she who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. That is a biblical principle. If you sow generously, you reap generously. If you sow sparingly, you will only have a small harvest. God lavishes his gifts on the poor. So let me just say this. I would like to reframe the whole term and get away from the idea of the prosperity gospel being a bad thing and we should all be against it because we're British and we're far too abstemious to want to be rich and prosperous. <laughs> what a load of rubbish. Every Brit wants to be rich and prosperous really, but they just don't want other people to be. Sorry, I can say that because I'm a Brit. We we don't cope very well in England, in Britain, with other people's success, I observe. <laughs> so, however, let's reframe it and let's talk in terms of the generosity gospel rather than the prosperity gospel, because the gospel is good news and it is all about a generous God, a prodigious God, a prodigal God who gives everything he has, just gives his dearly beloved son to win a bunch of rebellious <laughs> human beings. So the, the, the generosity gospel, there you are, I want to coin that phrase, launch that term, the generosity gospel, let us be excelling in generosity as Paul says so he's saying so there we are that's my little side verse 5 he says I will visit you after passing through Macedonia for I intend to pass through Macedonia perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go now I think Paul when he says help he's speaking euphemistically he's actually expect he's hoping that they're going to give him some um, financial support and some provisions for the journey and set him up for the trip. When we were in Kenya, they have a terminology there. They say, I'm going to visit our mother. Are you sending me? And then what they expect is for the family members to come up with some cash and some produce and stuff to send with that family member to their mother and so sending, when they were sending each other, they were sending each other with provisions. And Paul's, Paul wants them to send him. He says, you may help me on my journey wherever I go. So I want to come here and not have to worry about scraping together the bus fare. I want to come here and actually be sent on my way, comfortably provided for, for the journey. And then he says, verse 7, for I do not want to see you now, just in passing, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But if I but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened for me and there are many adversaries. And so remember, Paul says I faced wild beasts at Ephesus. He's but nonetheless, he's enjoying a season where the gospel is enjoying favor and is going forth in power and he's like this is a too good a moment this is a window of opportunity a great and effective door has opened for me i'm going to stay here 
and exploit this opportunity for now. But I do want to come and I do want to get some decent time with you is what he's saying. And I am going to come. And we know Paul's expectation when he prefaces the book to the Romans, the letter to the Romans. He says, I long to come to you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you and that you and I may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. And really what Paul's expecting is exactly the same thing when he goes to Corinth, that he's going to impart spiritual gifts. They're going to be mutually encouraged. And it's going to be a great time. So he doesn't want it just to be over like that. He wants it to be a, a, a substantial visit, maybe through the winter. And verse 10, he says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of God as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. And it's interesting that that word there, don't let no one despise him. Um, poor Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, let no one despise you or look down on you. It's the same term. Let no one look down on you, be condescending to you because you're young. It seems that Timothy did get a bit of a negative reception when he turned up. I guess they were used to Perhaps Paul, who was a bit older and a bit more seasoned, and some of the others, like Apollos. I don't know how old Apollos was. But Timothy, when he turns up, he seems to get a bit of a rough deal. And so Paul's saying to the Corinthians, be nice to Timothy. He's a great guy, and he's doing the work of God just the same as me. So for goodness sake, receive him well, and also help him on his journey so that he can come to me that he's provided for to make the journey to come to me because I'm expecting him with the brothers. Verse 12, he says, now concerning our, so there's this sense of responsibility and the work of God is is each of ours responsibility. It's not just, well, we leave it to him. We leave it to Mark Wade in Romania. Our responsibility, if we can't be there with Mark, helping him is to continue to support him in prayer, but to financially support and Raf and Leone and the people who've gone out from here to give and support them and uh, make sure that we're continuing to, so that we're sharing in the work together. Verse 12, he says, Now considering our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you, with the other brothers, but it was not his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. That's interesting as well, because Apollos is another apostle and he seems to be um, he seems to act in relationship with Paul, but he is his own person. He is able to follow his own leading as the Holy Spirit is leading him. And although Paul is urging him strongly to go to Corinth, Apollos says, no, I, do you know what? I am going to go, Paul. I really want to go. But right now, I am not going to go because I've got this and this and this I need to do. And just like Paul saying, I'm coming, but I've got, I'm here in Ephesus and I'm super busy and it's going really well. And I want to make the most of that opportunity. Apollos has the same uh, freedom in their relationship to do that. And it's interesting that Paul doesn't control Apollos. Paul is not like the sort of uber apostle who all the others have to kind of kowtow to. They are men of God in their own right and some women who have their own directions from the chief who is Jesus. 
And so Paul says that Apollos will come. He will come when he has opportunity. Verse um, 13, it says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Be watchful. Yes, stay focused. Don't be falling asleep. So like he says in the uh, previous chapter, don't be getting drunk. Don't be um, losing your sense of urgency. Don't allow the pull of these this world's pleasures and so on to distract you from the fact that you guys are on a mission, same as me. Now, you live in Corinth, you work there, that's where you your home is, etc. But nonetheless, you are on a mission and you should be as focused as I am. That's what Paul's saying. He's after their undying affection for Jesus, their undying devotion for Jesus. And he's saying, come on, guys, be watchful. Stay with it. Stay alert. Don't be like the foolish virgins who fell asleep and ran out of oil. Keep your lamps burning. Have plenty of oil. Keep getting filled with the Holy Spirit so you've got oil to keep burning. And so on and so on. All of these things. But then, And stand firm in the faith. Stand firm. Don't be vacillating backwards and forwards should I shouldn't I you know oh I'm not sure oh stand firm in it be strong but then he makes his statement act like men now the word there is androidzomai which means basically man up my brother is called Andrew Andrew means strong and manly androidzomai and Paul's saying come on you guys man up That might sound sexist, right? But there is something that we look for in a true man that is called courage. And I think that if there is one quality that is beautiful in a man, it is courage. In in a true man, you know, who's genuinely living as as a godly man should courage, bravery, is part of that. And it doesn't mean that women can't be brave or courageous, but I'm sure um, (laughs) these guys knew what Paul was saying. Man up, fellas, come on, stay awake, be be strong and steadfast in the faith. And, you know, let's, let's stand firm. But then he says, verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. And so he's going right back there again to chapter 13. And he's saying, come on, be strong and manly. Be Andrew, be Andrew Zomai. Um, But let everything you do be done in love. And so these two things are not incompatible, but actually they're entirely compatible. When the two things are acting in tandem, where we have that strength and that courage and bravery Some translations say, be brave. Great way of putting it. Be brave. There's a fabulous song, You Make Me Brave. You Call Me Out, um, Be On The Shore, To The Waves. You know, when Peter stepped out of the boat, he was being brave. He was, but he was stepping out in faith and courage. And Paul's saying, that is what I'm looking for, but do it all in love. Everything you do, let it be done in love, as he said in... um, Chapter 13, if not, it's nothing. It's all irrelevant, if you, unless you can do it. So it's no good just like, be, whoa, caveman, I'm strong and manly. 
but treating everyone really badly, do it in love. So in even in your strength, in your courage, do it everything you do. Do it out of love. There's some challenges there, aren't there, for us. Um, now, where are we? So let me see. Let all that you do, verse 14, be done in love. Verse 15, now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Now, I think I'm right in saying that um, Stephanus was the jailer who got <coughs> who became a Christian after the, the the earthquake and all the prisoners began, you know, could have escaped and Paul had kept them all there and and Paul and uh, Silas had been singing hymns in prison and and they were like they they then were able to lead Stephanus and his household to faith and they baptized a whole lot of them but it seems that he became he and his household became like the first church in that region the first household of faith and I love that and they've devoted themselves to the service of the saints and he said be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer so he's saying these kind of people these kind of believers these are the ones you need to submit your hearts to these are the ones you need to allow to lead you and to set the example to you because they are the real deal and they you know they've they've demonstrated it in they that they've devoted themselves to the service of the saints so he says, be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and labourer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. And we have our own Fortunatus and he is a huge blessing to everyone who knows him. And uh, so just like the one he's named after, so... Praise God for Fortunatus then and now. Um, and he's saying, they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. So Paul's saying, look, these guys help me. You know, I'm like your Mr. Senior Apostle, sure, but these guys help me. They refresh my spirit and they refresh yours. Please honour them. Give proper recognition to these kind of people. These are the real deal. Verse 19, the, ch the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca, that's Priscilla, we've heard of quite a bit in the book of Acts, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. Love that. This isn't just, oh yeah, give them my love, give them my love, oh yeah. This is proper hearty greetings. Oh, when you see them, give them a massive hug for me. I can't, oh man, you know, oh, I'd love to go, I'd love to go and greet them and, oh, and so this is the this is the thing they they carried each other in their hearts they were one body together all over the region and all the brothers send you greetings greet one another with a holy kiss i love it and so they were not encouraged to do social distancing at that point they were encouraged to give each other a proper holy kiss now a holy kiss please is not an excuse for an unholy kiss or a cover up for sleazy men to kiss gorgeous girls. Please, let's do all of these things with the holy, holy. This is the word, holy. Okay, got it, everyone? Yes. 
Um, I, Paul, write this greeting. So an unholy hug. Oh, let's not have those in church. If we can't do holy hugs, just greet people, shake their hand. If it's going to be more than a, mm -hmm, you know what I mean? Just a holy hug, then just shake hands or nod politely. I'd rather we were stiff, kind of starchy British, than we go into unholy hugs and unholy kisses. But however, preferable, holy kiss, holy hug, good thing. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of our Lord be with you. My love with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I think Paul's being pretty tough there, but he's saying, listen, if, if people don't love Jesus, this is their end. This is the end result for them will be that they will be cursed. They will, obviously, if they don't love God, how could they possibly enter into an eternity with him? And he's saying, my love is with you. And then he makes this, this statement. He says, um, our Lord come. And he writes it in Aramaic, which is Maranatha, which is come Lord Jesus, which was one of the greetings that the early church used among each other. Come Lord Jesus. Their expectation was that he would come soon. I'm sure Paul expected him to come a lot sooner than he has. But trust me. Well, don't trust me. Trust his word. He's coming. So, Lord Jesus, we echo those words of the Apostle Paul, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. But, Lord, make us ready and help us to make each other ready and make our neighbours and friends ready. And, Lord, we want those ones that do not love you to be in the very small minority. So, Lord, what we ask is that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit again today and that our lives would be a glorious illustration of your love to the people around us and that they would see the authentic risen Jesus in everything we do and say in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful day, everyone. God bless you.